Welcome back to the More Beach Meetings podcast. I'm Carson Sweezy, your host. Today's guest is Mary Hartberg. Mary is the director of People Ops at Close.io. She's been instrumental in growing their fully distributed team, which now operates in 13 countries and six states. When she's not collaborating in cyberspace, she's moonlighting as a silversmith. Her favorite remote work destination of 2018 was the Azores. You just told me a little bit about how you got involved with Close, but I thought it was a cool story. I'd love to hear it again. So how did you get involved with the organization you're working with currently? Close has three founders, Thomas, uh, Steli, and Anthony. And when they were starting to expand their company, they all reached out at some stage to the person that they kind of trusted the most. And so Steli reached out to his best friend, Ramin, and uh, Thomas reached out to his cousin, Stefan, and Anthony reached out to me, his best friend. Uh, We actually grew up together in a very small town, uh, so childhood friends. And we are all still on the team today. So there's Ramin, who's been there five years, Stefan six years, and myself four years. So it's kind of a testament to how the company is is built, has such a foundation of relationships that come from a place of trust. What was that initial project? The initial project was to send uh, Steli's book, The um, Ultimate Guide to Startup Sales, was to send that book to all of of the customers. And so I started off just doing these random kind of marketing projects. And so that was going to take about two weeks. And yeah, like I said, two weeks turned into two months, turned into, okay, fine, I'll come on as a full-time employee, two years, and now it's still blossoming. So yeah. They've kept me very busy and it's been wonderful. Have you talked with them since and, and found out if that was intentional to sort of recruit you or was it just they needed a lot of help? And Nah, he knew exactly what he was doing. He knows me. We've grew, we've grown up together. So he knew that if he said straight up, hey, come and work for me, that that I'm not sure that would have interested me at the time. I was in a totally different industry and in kind of a state of transition. And yeah, so when he reached out, I thought, oh, all right, I can help him with this one thing. So I always approached when I joined Close and for many years, and I still have this in my head is I saw it as an opportunity to help my best friend grow his business. And having that care factor, that has never left. It's still like, and now I can say now it's like our company. I feel that it's this thing that we've just all grown. Everybody takes a lot of ownership and has a really high care factor. But that was how I approached it from the very beginning was I'm just here to help my my friend grow his business. What is the role blossomed into? You're the director of people operations. That is all things. I, I oversee um, all of the hiring. So for any position that we have open in the company, I spend a lot of time uh, trying to find more awesome people to join the team. Uh, so I do all of the hiring, all of the onboarding, and then I do all of the HR stuff. So all the people work behind that. So if there's anything regarding insurances or taxes or all of that really fun stuff, I do all of that as well. That's kind of the two main areas as people ops and, and I stand in as HR at the moment. What does the hiring process look like? Is it giving people two-week projects and and testing, having them test the ropes or... Is it more case by case? How do you guys do that? Over the years, this has evolved so much. Um, We've learned a lot from from our wins and our in our losses in this regard. So we have it set up pretty standard now, where everybody sends when you apply, you put in some application. We have application questions, and we take those questions very seriously. In fact, that's the first thing that somebody screening 
the application will look at are those questions before they look at your resume, before they look at your LinkedIn or anything. It, they go to those questions first. After that, we pass people into a series of interviews. So there'll be a first interview. And then usually after that, we do a take-home project and then a few more interviews um, all contingent on the previous one. And what we try to do is have a one person, it's a new person that you're interviewing with every time. And it's always somebody from the team. Um, so we do everything in-house. So it's always somebody that you would be directly working with, which gives you an, a great opportunity as somebody that's interviewing that you actually get to see who your teammates would be. And that's worked out really well. So as a remote company, it's really important that we have these series of interviews and they do take some time. We take extensive notes. We collaborate and talk to one another internally about each candidate. So each process is thought out way before we have all the questions we're going to ask. We have all the take-home projects ready to go, what we're evaluating for in each interview. We've learned along the way. We've <laughs> This is a huge progression from Virgin. So that's kind of what our, our process looks like. And we often hear back from people, wow, that was really extensive, but I, I enjoyed going through this process with you. So they understand anybody that's been in the remote space understands why you have to do kind of a, a series of interviews. Yeah, it sounds like it helps certainly build those foundations. And I want to get into the remote stuff for sure. But I want to dive into this a little bit deeper because it sounds like this is is probably a, a huge foundational step to what allows you to be remote. So in those application questions, without going to specifics about the questions and all, but what do you look for in those questions that, that helps a candidate stand out? So that would be for each position, they're entirely different questions. So it's usually five questions and that'll be specific towards what we are really looking to achieve in that role itself. So if we're aligned on who influences our how you would answer a certain question, if it's a technical position, if it's anything with engineering or the product team, there's usually a, some sort of coding exercise in there. And then there's some standard questions at the end that I just, just purely logistics, like what time zone are you in? Um, can you travel for internationally? Um, because these are, you know, for a week at a time, just some standard questions like that, because we don't want to waste someone's time if they're in a time zone that isn't good for a certain role. Besides those logistical questions, are there any specific questions or answers that you guys look for that might help you understand how someone works in a remote situation that might not come into a play in a work environment that is in an office nine to five every day? Yeah, so we actually, one of those questions is, have you ever worked remotely before? So if they said no, it's not a deal breaker. Um, it's just that we love to know if you have worked before. Um, because People that work remotely after a while, you either realize, hey, this is for me or this is not for me. Um, some people really do need that office environment. To touch on that, what were you? Oh, this is what I was going to say about knowing if they're going to be good in the remote space are people that can communicate effectively, written communication effectively, because we can't talk to you at that stage. We don't know if you're great on Slack or on the phone or on video. All we can see is your written correspondence. And that's a really good indicator of, of how you be communicating in, um, in the remote environment. If it's like all over the place or bad grammar or bad um, spelling errors, stuff like this, we, we look for that. It totally makes sense too, because if you're not in an office environment, it, it can't just go off of personality and in-person charisma alone. There has to be 
those communication lines that are on all sorts of different mediums, right? Right, right. So we used to have uh, an office in Palo Alto, and that's where the main uh, closed team was after the Elastic Sales Days. They all the people that stuck around they stayed in Palo Alto, and it was the team of them for a couple years. And when they started hiring, um, like I said, they started reaching out to people they knew. Ramin didn't live there. I didn't live there. Um, then the first support person that we hired was in Berlin because we actually needed somebody in that time zone specifically. And that seemed to work out. And Ramin and I were working out. So it started, it was a very organic process at first. It was like, okay, let's see how this goes. So there was a, it was a satellite. Uh, we were satellite employees, I guess. But from the very start, everyone was very active on Slack. That was always um, something that I appreciated. So I, I knew what was going on. As the, the team started growing, it just made made sense. And the founders, they all love to travel as well. They're very international. Steli's from, um, you know, born in Greece or from Germany with Greece, a Greek background. Anthony's from the States. Thomas is from Switzerland. And they all travel a lot. So it's kind of in the, the fiber of the company to be very international as well as enjoy um, traveling. So this kind of all happened very organically. And we just started hiring people from different locations and it just started to work out. And then finally, uh, some of the people in that Palo Alto office, uh, one moved back uh, back home to Florida where he was living before. And Steli was actually the last man standing, the CEO at the, the Palo Alto office and went. So those doors shut a couple years ago and and now we have no official headquarters. Very cool. So uh, I've realized... Uh by the way you've answered a couple of these that it might be helpful for listeners to know exactly what what close does just by you mentioning that it depends on different time zones uh and candidate roles and stuff so what is it that you guys do so we're an inside sales crm for startups and small to medium businesses and it's basically a it's an awesome tool to help a salesperson increase their productivity um, and their daily workflow so it reduces manual data entry because we have all the calls, SMS, email, it's all in one place. So it's just a fabulous tool. I use it every day actually for recruiting and the sales success and support team there in it every day as well. Um, so we actually use our own product. Yeah. So it's just a fabulous tool. And so most of our team originally was all, um, was a very strong, uh, product team, uh, engineering and still over half of our team are engineers, but now we have more customer-facing roles, so success, sales, support. And those are the positions that are um, a bit more dictated by um, certain working hours. Predominantly, over half the team is our, our developers. I love companies that use their own products, which it sounds like a no-brainer, but I mean, it doesn't happen all the time, you know? But there's a great story about Slack and their founders and how they created Slack as an internal communication tool for another project they were working on. And when that project failed, they realized they had something great within Slack. So that product just came out of their own use for it. And uh, I think to any entrepreneurs out there, if you can scratch your own itch with anything, you can find a way to, to create values. Yeah. Well, that's exactly what this, so Elastic Sales was their first business. And that was actually a sales team that would go out and sell 
um, different people's products in Silicon Valley, and they couldn't find a CRM that was productive and effective. And so they built this internal tool. And that is what closes today is people kept going, what are you actually using? What are you calling me on? What, what is this thing? Uh, so it was, it, they pivoted and, and that's what close actually is. So same, same story. I know that you guys do retreats and that has something to do with the remote work, but where does that need for retreats come from? The need comes from probably just the human spirit <laughs> really is um, we need to be around each other. We need that alignment. We need to know the human component of, um, of who we're working with every day. So it, those retreats are so effective as far as a productivity from a work point of view, but they're much more effective from just getting to know everyone, the social, like really building that social fiber of the company. So you're just able, for me anyway, I'm able to collaborate and work so much better when I've actually met that person or I know them in person. And then I know what their nuances are, what motivates them, or just, you just get to know so much more about a person when you're spending quality time with them. So we do those every, um, every six months we meet up. And do you have a specific goal for each retreat or a list of goals? Or is it just let's get together and hang out and, and see each other? Yeah, these are very structured, um, very, very structured. And we have a goal. Uh, we always have a goal for the retreat or kind of a theme more than anything. And then there's activities. The, the calendar is chock full with activities and meetings and all sorts of things. So it's a very, there's not a lot of like fluidity during that time. We pack a lot into a week. What is your favorite retreat activity? Oh, this is easy. This is really easy. Our last retreat we did in Lisbon. And one of the fun things that we did was um, rented some boats. So we had a sailboat and then a yacht. And we took we went on a cruise, like a sunset, two and a half hour cruise around the harbor there. It was just beautiful. And everybody loved it. I have a personal love of boats. I lived on boats for many years of my life. And it was so fun to see these are some, some of the team had never been out on a boat before. That was just like really, really special to, to get to share that experience with everyone. And it was this picture perfect day. Sun was shining, birds were singing, like it was beautiful. Yeah. It sounds awesome. Kind of brought you back to your, your yacht days, huh? It did. It did. <laughs> had you been on a boat since then? Since my yacht days? Yeah. Yeah. I still, um, I still get out. I do a little bit of, uh, sail racing and then, Sometimes um, I still have friends in the industry, so I'll go out and, and do a passage with them every now and again. That's a good industry to have friends in, I would say. It is such a great industry <laughs> to have friends in, yes. And I'm lucky because I love ocean, open ocean passages, and a lot of people don't like doing that. So I can go and take their place while they um, are having a bit of a break. It works out really well. What is an open path? An open what did you say? An open sea passage? Doing a crossing from like one country to the other. So you're out in the middle of the ocean. Um, and a lot of people don't like that versus coastal cruising. So I'll take time off oh, gotcha. from my job now. I, my holiday now is I'll go and work and be a crew member and, and do passages. So beyond the retreats, what do you guys do to maintain the company culture in a, in a distributed team? That is such a great question. And this is what a lot of people actually reach out and ask us about um, is like, how do you keep this culture alive in between, like in between your retreats? And 
there's a few things that we've done very intentionally. So we actually have an all team meeting every week. It's a short meeting. It's 30 minutes. We prep for that on Mondays. We send out um, what our highlights of the week are. And then on Tuesday, we get together and, and have a chat. Right after that team meeting, I have this uh, round robin roster. So I pair three people together every week. And it's just for 15, 20 minutes. You can I have suggestions of topics if you want to talk about those things. But a lot of times people talk about what they did on the weekend or a hobby or a goal or just it's really a time just to to get to know each other as people that has been really fun we used to do two people together and I uh, realized I accidentally put three people together one time and it was myself and the conversation just flowed so much better when when there were three people um, so then I just started placing three people together and that's something that we've done for so many years. And when um, new team members come on, they're always like, this is such, it's such a great way to get to know people quickly. So that's something we do. And then also when you join, we do a little guide to you. So it's a bunch of questions. Uh, it doesn't take more than 10, 15 minutes to fill out. And they're pretty specific. Like what are some unfiltered insights about you? What are things that we might interpret or you know, that you might want to explain just all these different questions. How do you like to be communicated with? How do you like feedback? And then that lives. um, And then we have some pictures in there too. And that lives in the company wiki. And so everyone um, when they go through onboarding, they go through and they can read everybody's guide to you. And they are there. Some of them are really funny. You know, they truly reflect the personality of the person because you write them yourself. We also do uh, once a month, we do a sharing is caring. And this is a totally optional uh, event. And this is something that um, you sign up for. And it's like a 15 minute demonstration of like a life hack or um, a skill set or something that you think would be uh, useful for somebody else on the team. So people have done anything from fitness. I taught a yoga, uh, some sun salutations. Um, Somebody taught us how to put together a living or a will. Uh, Thomas, one of our co-founders is an amazing flight hacker. So he taught us how to hack flight. So we do stuff like this. I would say those are some of the, the main ones that to keep culture. Oh, and then of course our Slack channel. So we have um, a bunch of different Slack rooms. Uh, one of them being Shenanigans. That is probably the the most active channel out there. That's just stuff for a place for people to to kind of put fun things, have some banter back and forth. I think that's always really important to to blow off some steam in the workplace. And then we also have uh, like Kids of Clothes dogs of clothes. We have a travel channel that we put up there. So if anybody is traveling um, and they want some other team members to meet up with them, then they post in there and then people can coordinate and amongst themselves. And so that happens where people will do these like little mini retreats outside of the normal large team retreats. And that's a testament to the culture that you build is, is people wanting to engage outside of just the normal retreats. And, and I think something else that stood out to me is that everything you guys do is something that any company could do, not just retreats, or I'm sorry, not just remote companies, but these things would be beneficial for building relationships. I think that because you guys have an inherent need to to sort of be more intentional about culture building and making sure that relationships are built, that you guys have figured out in some ways things that if you're working in an office, they might not have thought about. And I, I think um, 
at least in my mind, that that's something that anyone could learn from, whether it be a, a huge established, you know, hundred year old company that has offices all over the world or a, a startup that that is distributed. Yeah, I think that is such a good point that um, I like the word you use intentional is right. If you're in an office setting, you just think, yeah, we've got a new person. Hey, every, hey everybody, here's Fred. You know, we just started say hi. But with remote work, we really try to facilitate and with that, that intentional communication and intentional projects that we, that we do. So I would say, yeah, that's any, any company could, could do stuff like this, but it's really important in, in the remote space. What do you think is the biggest challenge in remote work? So, I mean, it could be company culture or anything else or logistics, but what have you found to be a challenge that you guys are constantly looking to improve on? I heard this phrase once, and so this always comes to mind, is there's the known unknowns and there's unknown unknowns. And in the remote environment, the unknown unknowns are really hard to pick up on. So when you're in an office setting, you probably are hearing conversations going on all the time. And that's what happens at our, at our retreats is you're, you get to overhear what a sales call sounds like. You overhear the engineering team discussing a feature. You, you get to overhear a lot of different things. And that is something that doesn't happen in, in the remote space. So you don't ever, you're not ever eavesdropping on anything. Um, and so we're, I've been always curious to try to figure out um, better ways that those kind of those kind of things can come to light in the remote space. And so, one thing we've done is on sales calls, like you, we invite um, or more for success calls, we invite the engineering team. They can come and sit in on a success on a success call with one of the customers. So that's something that in, in setting up an environment where those unknown unknowns are more likely to shine some light on them. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I like the way you phrase that. Yeah. Too, <laughs> the unknowns and the unknown unknowns. Yeah, yeah. So kind of along similar lines, if you were to speak to, let's say, a room full of entrepreneurs or, or people looking to sort of solve problems within the remote working world, what's one challenge that you would task them with solving? One challenge right now, and this is purely from an HR um, side of things, when you're running a remote uh, company, the logistics of if you don't want to have a headquarters or just how that works with insurances and um, those sort of institutions haven't so much caught up yet with with this new digital workforce. So that's something that I would love if somebody had like a catch-all solution to, to those sorts of things. But from a, from a culture, ask the question again. An issue, and I've seen that with just researching guests for this podcast and seeing job postings for distributed companies and people noting that you have to work in this country to get certain health benefits. And that must be a huge challenge as well as all these administrative tasks of dealing with other insurances and stuff. So yeah, that's something I would also say whenever I hear like, this is going to be a challenge. What I try to reframe it as, okay, this is, let me reframe this as an opportunity. So it's when we're doing when you were in the remote space, we're on kind of the frontier of this workforce. And so it's kind of a cool space in that we get to create some new ideals. And so I try to look at it like that, like, how would I actually want to do this? Or what, what is, how effective is this going to be for my team? And I often think on a very, um, 
on just the level of, of my team and what we're doing and what we're doing at close. And now understanding like these are problems that so many other companies might be facing and I can reach out and ask them how they've done this, but I've always focused internally first is how are we going to solve this for us? And what's going to be the best for us and what is the best for us might not be the best fit for other people or other companies. Um, So I always keep that. Yeah. I mean, the perfect example is what you were mentioning with company culture and how to foster that, right? I mean, these older companies might not have been as intentional about it, but you do have that opportunity to kind of start from scratch and figure out exactly what the company wants and, and what it needs, right? So before we get into the hustle round, I have just one more question I'm curious about. What would you say is personally the most underrated perk of of working remote? I would say this is just because it's on my mind. And I think it's probably not underrated, but what I'm so grateful for, and I I just told the guys this today, um, the founders, is my sister just had a baby and I got to come up and be here with her. And my mom was sick earlier this year and I got to fly home and be with her. And the amount of time that I get to spend with my family now, and I'm still working and I probably am working even longer hours and and stuff when I'm out of my normal uh, routine, when I'm out of kind of the routine of my life. But the fact that I can, or that, that I have that opportunity to be with my family, like nothing is more important than that to me. And I couldn't do that if I didn't have the flexibility of, of remote work. It's such a huge value to have, you know, I mean, I don't know if any of us could ever truly understand the, the real value in that, but it's incredible. Yeah, a lot of people, when they first hear about remote work, it's this like, they think of an entirely glamorous lifestyle, right? Like, I bet you're always, you know, on the internet working from a yacht and like, uh, or all these like crazy destinations and crazy places. And it's like, the reality is, no, a lot of times I'm working from a co-working space or I'm working from my house and I I have a very traditional, you know, eight to six like works, work thing going on. But it's those opportunities when I can just up and up and leave and be with my family that I'm always reminded, like, this is why I do this, you know, and then I can, I can go and work from really cool places if I want to sometimes. But a lot of times that's not the reality of it. The reality is that I'm just doing a, a traditional, um, I have a very traditional lifestyle. So, so what is a quote or piece of advice that's on your mind? Let's see. There's two that quick come to mind only because of some of the work I've been doing today. One piece of advice was, this is actually one of our values, is good is the enemy of great. And I think about that a lot when I'm in the, in the rabbit hole of recruiting, um, that I'm so mindful about who we're pushing forward. Like good is the enemy of great. Somebody might be good. A project might be good. You might see something that's good, but we're really striving for great. Um, that's something that's, that's really important to me. And then this is totally outside of any sort of, uh, work place environment, maybe for some people, but I've got this quote, we do not inherit the earth from our ancestors. We borrow it, borrow borrow it from our children. And that's something it's just always on my mind. Um, I think probably in the world we're living in at the moment with climate change and all the things happening to the planet, I think about this a lot. Um, Yeah, trying to reduce our impact on the world, on the earth. Yeah, I think that's a good way of thinking about it too, is similar to how we were talking about intention and 
culture, it's it's all about intention and how you frame things. And if you're framing it as an inheritance of the earth, what do we do with inheritances? We blow them and, and we buy mansions and stuff. But if it's borrowing, then you're a little bit more weary about what the return is and uh, how much the interest rate is on the loan. Exactly. Yeah. So it's it is it's a total reframing of how how you're dealing with the world itself. Yeah. That's awesome. So next question is, what's an activity outside of work that you've learned a lot from? Yeah. So I would say recently, for the last couple of years, I've been designing and making jewelry. So I've been a silversmith. I started taking courses um, from a jeweler in town and it's been such a learning process. It's been so good to be working with my hands again. And um, just the patience involved in <laughs> in building something like that. Um, that's been such a huge learning curve and a learning process. And the art in and of itself, getting a handle on it has been one thing. And now I've taken it um, into the space of of selling it. And that is a whole other world where it's like you're selling your art. And it's sometimes hard to, to, for me to put myself out there. Um, yeah, so that's been a, a huge learning curve as well. Like, how do I, where should this, where should I be selling this? And yeah, just setting, setting that all up. But it's been very enjoyable. Where can listeners find your art? It sounds, it sounds cool. At the moment, I don't have a website yet, but they are in stores at Heritage in Carpinteria. Or you can email me um, show you some photos and see what we can do. I'll put some stuff in the show notes about that. Yeah, I went to school in Colonial Williamsburg. I'm always fascinated by any of the, the smitheries, the blacksmiths and the silversmiths and all these really hands-on crafts that uh, you don't see as much these days. But that's certainly uh, interesting. I'm sure it gives you time to think, too. It does. It's so it's very meditative. And it's such a great community too, because I go there um, in the evenings and it's an open studio with um, it's mostly people around my my grandma's age. And I learned so much from them because they've been doing this trade for it's it's a very self taught almost um, a lot of the environment is and so I learn from them. And they're all they've been doing this for years and years. And it's kind of like their passing of the torch. So it's a really fun. It's a really fun environment. Very cool. Lots of wisdom to be had there, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. What is your favorite either Chrome extension or productivity tool in general? I would say um, Wonderlist because I'm on that every single day. I love Wonderlist. It's just so clean. It gets everything I need to, to get done. Um, it's where all of my projects, all of my tasks live in Wonderlist. Okay, last question of the house around and then we can uh, drink some Gatorade and take a breather. What's an influencer or a book? related to company culture and remote work or any of these kind of topics that we're talking about that, that you found to be influential? So I have aspirations to read this book over the holidays, um, but it doesn't have to be crazy at work. I think a lot of people would cite this for, um, for that influencer in the remote workspace. I mentioned Stefan, one of the, the team members that's been around for a long time. He read this and sent um, our whole team some fabulous notes um, on it. And so I thought, I've got to read this. So that's on my list. I'm going to do that one. Great. All right. So we're out of the house around. Thanks for, thanks for enduring. So to wrap things up, do you have any messages for remote workers out there, or people that are running distributed teams, anything that you've learned in the last few years from your work? 
it's so important to remember that we're all the, the human element behind everybody that's on your screen every day. Uh, we, we're all going, we all have our, our whole lives going on back here. And a lot of times um, I think we forget that. And I've had a lot of conversations recently, people reaching out, um, wanting to make some sort of like uh, AI for remote work or something like this. And I think that's awesome. I think there's always room for improvement and productivity, but I don't think you can ever lose the value of of the human element behind all of this. Just because you don't see us every day, just because I don't see my team members every day doesn't mean that they're any less real. I would keep that in mind. And also one thing that I think we've been pretty good about doing over the years, and I could always and always do better on this, is that we actually talk about the struggles. We were very transparent and open amongst each other about when we're struggling with what might feel like solidarity at the moment or just having like feeling isolated. So we talk about that and at the retreats. I always have a session on remote work and we talk about the struggles and we also celebrate the successes, like the opportunities, like how I said, I just got to be here with my family. So we try to be really honest and transparent about what that looks like. Yeah, that's what I would say is make sure, like, don't, that it isn't like what I touched on before. It isn't all glamorous. Like this is still, um, it can get lonely out there. So I would say do anything you can to form camaraderie in your communities, you know, um, join a co-working space, join, you know, a group, a volunteer group, do something outside of your work that's going to put you involved with with other humans. I think that's really important. I love that. Both. Yeah. Both of your last points really like that. I think that's a good, good way to wrap it up. Mary, thanks so much for coming on the show. Really appreciated chatting with you and the time that you took out to talk with us today. Thanks so much. Thank you, Carson. I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks for listening to this week's episode with Mary Hartberg. To reiterate that book that she mentioned, it's It Doesn't Have to Be Crazy at Work by Jason Fried and DHH. You can find it all over the web and in bookstores. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.